Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Before starting the meeting, I just want to mention that I'm Susan McDaniel. I'm with the Prentice Institute for Global Population and Economy at the University of Lethbridge, and my colleague, Abdi Kazimpur, is a, a research affiliate of the Prentice Institute. And I'll mention the Prentice Institute, I always say this, has nothing to do with politics, politicians, <laughs> past, <laughs> present, or future. Um, so uh, let me just make a few housekeeping announcements first, and then I will have the very great pleasure of introducing my colleague. Uh, please, if you would, look and see if your cell phones are off. Nothing worse than in the middle of a lecture to have a, uh, a Beethoven tune go off or something. Uh, I would like to uh, suggest that there's a basket in the table. Most people know about the basket. You put $11 in there, uh, except for the speaker, uh, and uh, uh, there you uh, will have lunch, and people will count the money, so we want to support SACPA. Uh, let me just see what else. I will make some other announcements after Abdi speaks, so let me just um, introduce him far too briefly. Uh, and say that uh, he will have 30 minutes to speak, and we've got a signaling arrangement going. He's a soccer fan, so this is a yellow card. Uh, 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 we have uh, signals. Uh, let me just uh, briefly introduce him, and I do apologize because I should take far longer to introduce him, but I'm sure you'd be keener to hear him speak than to me to speak. So... Um, Abdi Kazimpur is a sociologist at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, yesterday, he was given a 15-year award for uh, long service. So he's been around for a while, and we're very honored to have him around for a while. Uh, he's also, he also served as Stephen Jarolowski uh, Research Chair in Cultural Change at Memorial University in Newfoundland, and he's been the founding member, founding director of two Statistics Canada research data centers at the University of Lethbridge and at Memorial University in Newfoundland, and I must tell you that this caused quite some consternation in Ottawa when he was simultaneously director of both of those. People wondered how that worked, but that's Abdi. He can juggle these things. Uh, he studies socioeconomic experiences of immigrants in Canada and is very well known for that, and the sociocultural developments in the Middle East. Um, last year, he has the book right here, so I'm going to show it to you. Uh, last, uh, I'm sorry, this book was published last year, The Muslim Question in Canada, A Story of Segmented Integration, and just in the past month, it has been awarded the very prestigious award of the John Porter Prize from the Canadian Sociology Association for the best book in sociology in Canada in 2015. So that's one heck of an honor. Uh, and I want to just mention that. So I, I could say a lot more about Abdi. He's a good friend and a very good colleague, but I want to give him the time to talk. You don't want to hear me today. So Abdi. Thank you, Susan, for the kind introduction, and uh, thank you, SACPO, for the invitation. By the way, I just took away Susan's red card, so I will have unlimited time. So. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here with you and be a part of all the wonderful things that you do. Uh, every time that I've been here, I have had 
a truly pleasant and educational experience. So uh, I really appreciate these opportunities. Uh, as Susan mentioned, the talk that I'll be uh, giving today here is a part of the research that I did for, for this book. And uh, I told Susan before that probably the reason that they picked this book for the award was that they probably didn't have any other nomination this year and they had to do something. So, so uh, this uh, research, as I have mentioned in the book, uh, was done against the background of uh, some of the debates that were happening with regard to Muslims, both uh, Muslims who were living in other countries as minorities, as immigrants, and Muslims who were living in Muslim-majority countries. And uh, uh, in a lot of these debates, uh, the debates that were had nothing to do with Muslims before, it seemed that Muslims have taken a very central position, either as participants in those debates or as key subjects uh, for, for those debates. Some of the debates uh, that I'm talking about here are the things that you hear a lot about in the uh, news these days. Uh, any discussion about democracy, whether it is possible to have uh, democratic systems in certain countries, not others, uh, inevitably involves Muslims. And the one position that is taken in these debates is that democracy has a very difficult time to develop roots in Muslim countries for uh, cultural reasons. Uh, discussions about secularism, the same thing there, and discussions about the integration of immigrants and multiculturalism, again, inevitably have uh, incorporated a very significant and visible Muslim component. So the talk that and uh, the, the topic that I will be talking about today here uh, involves the last two uh, topics. So uh, basically what I will be focusing on and talking about is the uh, challenges and the kind of questions that have been raised with regard to the integration of Muslim immigrants in places like Canada, immigrant receiving countries, uh, Western liberal democracies, and the implications of uh, those challenges and those questions for some of the policies that have been adopted in these countries, including the multiculturalism policies. When we uh, look more closely uh, at those debates and we try to sort of dissect them into their bare bones and all the essential components, I think the part that is related to Muslims uh, uh, is uh, a bunch of questions and doubts that are there about the possibility of Muslims uh, developing some sort of uh, peaceful and mutually respectful relationship with non-Muslims. So in a sense, the questions and the doubts that are there about Muslims' ability to uh, live in secular democracies, for example, in multicultural environments, uh, is uh, uh, boils down to uh, the nature of the intergroup relationships that they can develop or not with uh, other, other groups, non-Muslims. So the whole point here is whether uh, Muslims can convince themselves and can somehow uh, be uh, prepared to become a part of a larger entity, a nation, and develop common identities with uh, other people that live in a, in a society. So in the case of Canada, for example, the question is whether or not we can have something like an image of a proud Canadian that Muslims can be a part of that. 
I guess if it was just the Canadian beer, it would have been very easy. We could have had just a non-alcoholic beer, and it would have been done. So the essential question is whether that can be combined with this, the samosa, the falafel, the donor, and the koshery. And if that can be, those can be merged into just one big thing, then uh, I guess there is hope that maybe some sort of uh, harmonious relationship could be developed between Muslims and non-Muslims. I think that shows that I was working on these slides before supper yesterday. So. <laughs> All right. Um, these debates are relatively new in, in Canada. They have a, an older history in Europe. And uh, it seems to me that uh, the strongly negative views towards Muslims that are more articulately uh, expressed in, in Europe revolve around some sort of perception about Muslims that uh, I have called uh, Muslim exceptionalism, a concept that uh, considers Muslim to be an outlier, to be a group that do not necessarily uh, follow the rest of the population, the rest of people, and they have their own way of doing things. And when it comes to the integration of Muslims in uh, liberal democracies, that Muslim exceptionalism concept has pretty much these three, four major components. The first is that uh, Muslims and Muslim immigrants do not have any, uh, the, any uh, willingness to integrate into uh, host society. So uh, integration is not a goal for them. The second component, and these are all sort of direct quotes that uh, I have taken from the discussions that have been happening in, in Europe. The second component is that uh, this lack of uh, uh, integration is not necessarily a random thing. It is because of a conscious decision that Muslims uh, have made not to integrate. So it is a very deliberate thing. It is something purposeful, and it is something that is very uh, clearly set uh, for, by Muslims as a goal. And instead of integrating, Muslims have an alternative goal, and that is to dominate these societies. And that's why you hear a lot about the uh, Muslim tide in, in Europe and the fact that uh, Europe is becoming sort of Islamicized and all these uh, concerns and worries that are expressed about that. And the last one, last component of this uh, concept of Muslim exceptionalism is that when it comes to these particular issues and the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims, there is no variation within the Muslim population. They are all the same. No moderate versus extremist, no liberal conservative uh, distinctions and divisions within the Muslim population. So basically what that means is that uh, in order to understand Muslims, you just need a sample with the size of one. And then you can multiply that one and a half billion, and then you will get the whole picture. So if I say something like this to my intro sociology students, they won't listen to the rest of the stuff that I would say. But that is a very strong view, and apparently there are lots of political parties that have formed platforms around these, these concepts. And they win elections as well. Uh, I'll give you two very brief descriptions uh, that are basically given as descriptions of two groups. And uh, I want to do a little bit of sort of 
experiment here. I want you uh, to just, when, when I read these uh, descriptions and when you read them, uh, to think of whether there are two of them, whether the first one is talking about Muslims or the second. And then we'll come back to this. So the first one, in case the, the screen doesn't stay uh, like this, says um, they maintain, they referring to that group that is being described here, they maintain uh, strange and conservative religious customs and seem determined not to integrate. They are potential threats associated with criminality and violence. Their dark clothes and head coverings are emblems of civilizational conflicts. They have a tendency to embrace political radicalism and extremist platforms for political action. So that's the first one. The second one says uh, they are distinctly marked the black tint of the skin. They are ignorant, idle, thriftless, poor, intemperate, and barbarian. They will violate our laws, commit great crimes of violence, even capital offenses. So, those of you who thought the first one was talking about Muslims, those of you who thought the second one was talking about Muslims, those of you that both of them were talking about Muslims. Okay, ready for the answers? Actually, none of them were about Muslims. The first one was uh, given by Catholics about Jews. And the second one was given by Protestants about Catholics. <laughs> and they are about 100 and 150 years old. And uh, when I was just double-checking the references for this last night, uh, I just ran into this, and I swear I didn't make this up. The source of one of these is uh, a magazine, an American magazine, that was named Harper. So, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so this description was given about 100, 150 years ago about Catholics, about Jews, and uh, in North America, in Europe, in Canada. And where are these groups now, 100, 150 years later? This is something that I have virtually stolen from a book that has been. Uh, written by uh, two American social scientists, Robert Putnam and uh, Campbell, I forgot the first name. Uh, they have developed a very sophisticated, uh, what they have called a thermometer, thermometer of intergroup feelings. And what they have here, they have asked, uh, they have done a huge survey, and they have asked people about how they feel about uh, other groups. And based on whether they feel well, close to those groups or they uh, have some reservations about them, they have put them closer or farther away from each other. What you see at the top of this graph, the three circles of different sizes that you see, those are Protestants, Catholics, and Jews. So basically all those views that uh, were uh, 
described were included in those descriptions, now have, in a sense, faded away, and they have created a situation in which these three, three groups feel very close to each other. And uh, so there is possibility, there is hope that the Canadian beer can be combined with samosa and falafel, so in a sense. Uh, and then, uh, at the same time, the, that one little dot that you will see at the bottom of the, that screen, at the bottom of that scale, that is for Muslims. So it seems that Muslims are where Catholics and Jews were about 100, 150 years ago. And that's why a lot of scholars in this field are talking about the new Jewish question, basically referring to the, to the Muslim question or the same kind of treatment that Muslims are receiving, similar to what the Jews and Catholics were receiving uh, a century ago. So the whole point of the discussions that we have is how we can move from those descriptions to uh, the situation that we can see more human and, and friendly relationship between uh, among these groups. In a nutshell, if I ran out of time and I uh, started seeing the red cars and yellow cars from Susan, the conclusion that I would want uh, you to walk away with from this uh, presentation is that uh, for that to happen, uh, first of all, that can happen, and secondly, for that to happen, there is a need for some kind of two-way process, a two-way street. Uh, in the case of Muslims uh, and their integration into liberal democracies, both Muslims and non-Muslims have a responsibility. This is something, a project that both groups have to work on. It is not something that just one group has the responsibilities and obligations and the other group is just enjoying the benefits of that process. It is something that both have to, to work on and uh, this is a point that I always uh, highlight every time that I talk about this, whether it is for a Muslim audience or a non-Muslim audience. So I have managed to successfully make both groups mad at myself. So uh, uh, the kind of responses that have been given to uh, this question of how the to treat uh, Muslims and how this uh, harmonization in the relationship can come about. Uh, there are many different approaches, many different responses, many different theories that have been suggested. I have uh, tried to sort of simplify this into uh, a classification that has only sort of four possibilities. And uh, this is based on uh, uh, two-dimensional classification of whether the responses that have been given are uh, basically revolving around, around some sort of exclusion or segregation of Muslims and non-Muslims. So based on that, you'll get two possibilities. And secondly, whether they are speaking mostly to the Muslim uh, uh, groups and minorities or the mainstream population, the majority population. So based on the combination of these two dimensions, we can have four possibilities. One is uh, pretty much along the line with the one that I just described about the European debates. And uh, this is uh, probably you know him, uh, Geert Wilders, uh, a Dutch politician who has uh, a special place in his heart for Muslims and everywhere that he goes he gives a good lecture on them. And basically what he uh, uh, suggests is that uh, at the end of the day, we might have to stop 
immigration from uh, Muslim countries to Europe. And uh, if worse comes to worst, then we might have even to expel the Muslims that are currently here and living in those countries. So basically, for him, there is really no possibility of any sort of midpoint that is two groups, and uh, Muslims and non-Muslims, can meet. So basically, it says that, well, there should be an exclusion, there should be a segregation, and in this case, it is very easy to do because we have uh, to deal with just immigrants, and we can simply stop immigration from those countries. There are others that are uh, less well-known. I got my, my yellow card. Uh, and, uh, but, but this is basically the most articulate form of that uh, discussion and that argument. The second one that I would consider the flip side of the coin of, of the first, dis, uh, first approach and first response is the one that is given by, you probably don't know him, this is Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of the uh, ISIS group. And uh, of course, uh, he uh, doesn't like people like uh, Wilders, and uh, his position is exactly uh, diagonally opposed to uh, the, the position of this sort of mainstream European views. Uh, he says also that there is no possibility of Muslims and non-Muslims living together. If there is any possibility, that is when Muslims are dominant and uh, non-Muslims should be uh, subject to the Muslims' power. And, of course, we will see the actions that... Uh, come out of that kind of view and that kind of perspective. And these are the kind of actions that in different circumstances can very easily come from the first view as well. Uh, the third approach that, as you can notice, I have put it on the, on the right-hand side of this table, are the ones that are revolving more uh, around uh, the inclusion and uh, the sort of recognition of the minority rights. And this is, of course, the most uh, uh, well-known uh, concept uh, here is what has been suggested by Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, and uh, that is sort of in a book that he wrote uh, a couple of decades ago, The Politics of Recognition, and he has been a very uh, strong uh, supporter of multiculturalism. So pretty much multiculturalism is the essence of the uh, kind of responses and approaches that these guys suggest. And that involves the recognition of the rights of the minorities to have, to live faithful to the uh, sort of implications of their cultures and their faith. Uh, a more recent uh, response has been given by uh, uh, some scholars like uh, Dr. Ingrid Madsen, who is the chair of the Islamic Studies in uh, one of the universities in, in, Otto, in Ontario. And uh, she thinks that Muslims, uh, using the experiences of Muslims in uh, the United States, which uh, the Muslim immigrants try to develop some sort of coalition, some sort of solidarity with other Muslim minorities, the black Muslims, uh, around the values of social justice, uh, she thinks that Muslim, Canadian Muslims can also do the same thing and develop a kind of common identity with other minorities uh, based on those ideas of uh, sort of social justice and, and, and fairness. And uh, in a sense... 
she goes beyond uh, sort of the kind of views that revolve around Muslims only, and she wants to sort of expand those boundaries and and uh, uh, encourages Muslims to uh, just reach out to other groups, but these other groups are still other minorities. So uh, the problem with all these approaches, well, the, uh, the first two approaches, I guess we don't have to worry too much about, uh, the, the second set of approaches, I guess, have this problem, this common problem, that they solidify the situation of Muslims as minorities. So basically they leave them as minorities and then try to sort of accommodate them or to just expand their minority status so that it incorporates other minorities. And I think that is a little bit problematic about that. Muslims have to start thinking about themselves as a part of the majority and face all the challenges that the majority populations are facing and um, share the kind of activities and uh, uh, whatever positive things the majority can do and feel and be a part of uh, that, that group. And those are the kind of things that are more recently being suggested by some Muslim scholars that um, have uh, had a very particular interest in the experiences of Muslim minorities in the West. I have uh, mentioned just two of them here. Uh, one of them is uh, Tarek Ramazan, who is an, uh, originally uh, Egyptian, but he's now uh, working in uh, one of the universities in uh, Switzerland. And uh, he has been suggested it has been suggesting for a long time that Muslims should uh, uh, abandon some of these very traditional and conventional ideas that they have been accustomed to in their own uh, sort of Muslim-majority countries, and they have to uh, subscribe a different perception and different views of themselves. And I will talk about them in a, in a second. The same is uh, true for the other guy, who is uh, Dr. Yusuf al-Qarazavi, again, another Egyptian religious scholar who is living in the Persian Gulf. But he has been uh, uh, sort of very active in developing theories and jurisprudential and theological uh, concepts, new concepts with regard to the situation of Muslims who are living in the West. One of the concepts that uh, these uh, uh, folks have suggested is the concept of Western Muslims. So Muslims have to stop thinking of themselves as a minority and they also have to stop thinking of themselves as sort of an offshoot and an ex extension of the Muslim-majority countries. They have to start thinking of themselves as those who have a very different and distinct identity and face the challenges accordingly. And or the jurisprudence of minorities is something that was developed by the second guide, Yusuf al-Gharazavi, and these are basically reinterpretation of the theological sources so that they can uh, come up with more creative and innovative solutions for Muslim minorities. I, will, uh, I know that uh, I have to finish at 12.30, so uh, I will leave it at this. There are uh, a lot more information about the particular situation in Canada that we can talk about during the question and answers. And uh, before Susan gives me the red card, I will just voluntarily stop here. Thank you so much.